CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the Talking Metal Podcast with your host, Mark Striegel and special guest co-host, Victor M. Ruiz. iTunes number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Victor. Welcome one all to another episode of Talking Metal Live. This is Victor over here in Spain, and in Maplewood, New Jersey, we have Mark Striegel. Mark, how are you tonight? Good, good. I wasn't expecting to go live so fast. I uh, threw me off guard a little bit there, so uh, I think I was actually talking when you first started coming on, but but we're all good. Uh, we are We are live here with you guys, and oh man, what a year it was, 2013, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a year that, um, at least for me, I, I try to stay positive with music. I think there's always good stuff going on. I mean, I know that there are people that maybe say that one, certain years are better than others. And I mean, obviously, there are certain years that are very, very strong. But I think this wasn't a bad year for music. I think it was good. I thought I thought it was a good year. And, you know, 2012 was kind of a I don't know, a funky year for me. I was kind of in a transition period for with my job, and I was actually, I had a real good year financially uh, in 2012. However, it was kind of a, a stinker of a year. That's a, it's a real daddy word I use with my kids, stinker. <laughs> it was kind of a, a not-so-great year for talking metal in general. And 2013, I, I kind of decided, hey, I really want to get talking metal back on track and I really think with help from you and with help from, from John Astronomy that the, the show is back on track. I noticed in 2012 I only posted 25 episodes and literally only had like three or four guests on the whole year. Uh, I'm excited to say that this episode will be our 51st episode of 2013. I'm going to be posting it in podcast form on Tuesday the last day, December 31st of 2013. So I'm, I'm just really thankful and I just feel excited that Talk, Talking Metal has so, some momentum going. A lot of great guests join, joined us this year, many of which I interviewed with, with you, Victor. Uh, to run down just some of them, Metal Mike, Rob Dukes was on twice, Lydia Chris, Jeff Pilsen, Vivian Campbell was on our most downloaded, most listened to episode of the year. 
Zach Wild, White Wizard, uh, numerous White Wizard guys, uh, Eric from Gypsy Hawk, our good old friend, Tom Kiefer, uh, UDO, Tommy Thayer, Richie Kotzen, George Lynch, ex-Iron Maiden guitar player Dennis Stratton, Hailstorm, Bruce Bouillet, Saxon, Queensryche, uh, there's a lot of other guys I haven't mentioned too, and it's uh, it's just been a great year, and I'm so excited that Talking Metal seems, seems to be heading in the right direction once again, and I really can't blame anybody but myself for the kind of uh, bummer year of 2012, and I know we lost a lot of listeners in 2012, and I'm hopeful that we're, we're gaining some of them back, and I think we are. And it all started with episode 400 was the first episode we posted this year uh, with Generation Kill. So, And Mars Attack's going strong this year, too. You had a lot of good interviews happening this year. Yeah, I had a lot of exciting things. I mean, unfortunately, I wish I could have done more, just uh, health uh, for health reasons uh, sort of haven't had the year that I wanted to, but, you know, I'm starting to get things back on track and hope that, uh, you know, 2014 will be strong and no doubt that it will. I mean, um, I think that the interviews that I did get to do this year, uh, were, were all pretty good. There are a few that haven't come out yet and hopefully we'll be getting to those shortly. But, uh, I mean, for me, the, the one interview that really stands out to me is the, uh, one with UDO, and, and I have to thank uh, Mr. John Astronomy for always talking about seeing Accept open up for KISS and being able to ask him a KISS-related question during the interview. Oh, right on, right on. What, you, I, what was, I forgot, what was your KISS-related question to I, Udo? I, yeah, I asked him uh, what it was like opening up for KISS for accepts the very first tour of the states and if there was anything that he could share about the tour and he basically says that that he owes a lot to gene and paul because they sort of took accept under their wings and actually uh, on the first few dates stood on the side of the stage and would pull them aside afterwards and during sound check the next day and say you know what that may work in europe but for an American crowd, you need to do this or you need to, you know, do these types of things on stage and you need to play these types of songs. And he basically says that thanks to them, they were able to sort of squeeze the most out of the U.S. audience and that they've basically being both an accept and as a solo artist or not as a solo art artist, but within UDO, that he's been able to apply all that you know, 30 some odd years later and that it's helped him become, you know, the, the front man that he is today. Cool. And what, what tour was that, that they opened up for, for kiss except uh, I think lick it up Tour. lick it up. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, as some of you Facebook friends know, by the way, if we're not friends on Facebook, uh, please send me a friend request. I'm at facebook.com M Striegel. That's M S T R I G L. Uh, know that I, I, my Kissology Volume 3 has disappeared. I tore the house apart. I think it was Christmas Eve looking for it. And luckily, I hooked up with my brother and his family on Christmas Day, and he has loaned me his copy. My brother's a big, uh, big Kiss fan. And uh, last, just last night, was watching some footage from, from that era 
the first show without makeup is on Kissology uh, Volume 3. And I believe that Rio de Janeiro concert that's on there is the last show with makeup. So it's such a kind of strange era for Kiss and I, I think kind of an exciting era. You know, Vinnie Vincent, for, for better or worse, uh, really did, I believe, help move that band into a new direction, kind of, uh, you know, out of the, you know, un- unmasked as much as I love that record. It's a pop record, you know, and a lot of people don't like that. Uh, the Elder was kind of a weird progressive uh, record. You know, Bob Ezrin was right off of doing The Wall with Pink Floyd, and I think Kiss was very impressed by that record and kind of just let Ezrin guide them into kind of a strange area. I love The Elder, too. However, Creatures of the Night, which Vinnie Vincent was very involved with, was a kind of a step back to reclaim the the hard rock throne that I believe Kiss was now seeing bands that they had influenced, like Motley Crue specifically, and a lot of these these bands coming out of uh, L.A. and really all over the world, for that matter, who were heavily influenced by Kiss. And I think they they uh, realized they needed to get back to doing what they do best, and that's hard rock music. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's actually Kissology Volume 2 has the Vinnie Vincent stuff. Uh, and oh, really? The, yeah, the only reason that I know that is... Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. ...volume that I've played absolutely to death. And, uh, and actually, uh, should probably mention this off-air, but I might actually have an extra copy of that. So I have to uh, look around, and if I do have it, I'll send it your way, because it's just collecting dust on my end. I, I can't promise anything, because I don't know if I've given it away already, but I'll, I'll look around and see if I can find it. I'm one of these dummies that went and bought, like, every single uh, limited edition or every single release at the various stores so that I could get the extra um, uh, DVD that came along with, you know, it was like an extra 20-minute show. But, um yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. yeah, you're absolutely right. Kissology, Volume 2. So, um, it's interesting. I've talked to people in the past, namely uh, Mitch LaFon, about that period and about uh, there are a lot of people that say that Vinnie Vincent saved Kiss. Uh, I'm personally, and as much as I love, Creatures is my favorite Kiss album, by the way, but as much as I love Vinnie's contribution to the band, I absolutely think that MTV saved Kiss and that it wasn't uh, Vinny personally. I think his songwriting helped, but I think well, that... MTV did, you know, did play Lick It Up, the video, pretty heavily. Um, and, you know, those first few years of MTV, were they were really not embracing hard rock music at all. Uh, but right. right around that time, what was that, like 84-ish, when, when Lick It Up came came out and a lot of the L.A. metal bands were, were breaking on on a big level, definitely MTV kind of picked up a little more on the hard rock vibe. I'd be curious to what was going on. I should know this, having worked at MTV. What was going on at that time with the, with the, the music programming department at MTV? And if there was maybe somebody who joined the team who was a little more accepting of, of different styles of music. Cause it's also around that time that they started embracing, you know, for lack of better word, like urban black music, you know, like 
that which they hadn't been really embracing before that time. It was kind of in the beginning, strictly kind of a new wave station, you know? Right. Yeah, there's a great book that Greg Prado put out called uh, When MTV Rule the World, and it touches on all this different stuff. It's actually a, a very interesting read, and there are different insiders from MTV and musicians that uh, had their videos on there. And uh, one of the things that they do talk about in his book is that uh, around 83, I guess it was, MTV was sort of begging bands to do videos that it wasn't like a sold format at that point in time as far as promoting a band and essentially whatever bands were keen enough to uh put videos out there they played the death and they helped you know launch their careers or, or keep them around so i do think that that has a lot to do with uh with kiss's longevity in the 80s and if you look back i mean they put out about uh Two videos, I guess, per album uh, around that time. Lick It Up had two. Animalize had two. And the weird and- thing about that one video on Lick It Up, All Hell's Breaking Loose, it was so similar to the Motley Crue video, Too, uh, too Young to Fall in Love. Do you ever notice that? It's almost the same video if you watch them. It's the same type of like thing. Like uh, it, it's, it's bizarre, really. It's almost like the same treatment was used for both videos. Well, uh, I I never thought of that, but it it is a pretty interesting similarity. The the only difference is you don't have Nikki Six picking up a turkey bone and chewing on it, uh, and then throwing it on someone and picking it up afterwards. But uh, aside from that, yeah, I mean it's very similar, like a post apocalyptic type feel, and cool. you know. Well, not to not to change subjects, but we have yeah. a lot to cover today. I want to quickly touch base with the Talking Metal listeners who are just the greatest, guys. Thank you for your support in 2013, and I really want to keep things going on track and continue p- giving you good quality interviews with people you want to hear from or I think that maybe you should know about in 2014. Send me your suggestions at mark at talkingmetal.com or talkingmetal at yahoo.com or Facebook or whatever, you guys can get in touch with me. Twitter, I'm on there as Talking Metal and as Striegel. Let me know what you want to hear. I'm thinking of these these uh, Tuesday shows that are released, podcast shows that goes go up every Tuesday of always trying to uh, make sure they're at least an hour. Let me know what you think of that. Or do you prefer the... the, the um, shorter shows 30 40 minute shows let me know it's a it's a question i want to know the people who are trying to sell ad sales time for me now have convinced me i shouldn't be posting more than one episode a week so having said that i am wondering if i should just start making the episodes longer because there are certain weeks that i almost feel like i could do two episodes and other weeks where it's a struggle just to get one up so let me know your thoughts on that and Donnie G is checking in. He says, uh, here, I got a uh, message from him. He says, uh, wish we could have posted on Blabbermouth today. He's talking about the announcement about the live show and get all the talking metal heads that were on there before the shows were recorded. Do you do those media releases or does John? Uh, the Blabbermouth releases, it's really strange. John usually does them for talking metal because they almost always, not always, but almost always ignore any release that I send them. Uh, and if John sends them a release, they 
not always, but usually print it. So I usually have John send those releases. And quite frankly, John's a better writer than me. I'm like just a dyslexic freaking numbskull and can barely string two sentences together. So he, he usually does write those releases. And I don't think they would print a release like, hey, Victor Ruiz and Mark Striegel are going to, you know, talk a bunch of, you know, nonsense tonight, you know, with no guests. I don't think they're going to print that release, you know, (laughs) it's like they might if we had if we had George Lynch coming on live or something, they might. I don't know. But honestly, everybody, you know, we we have, you know, a couple dozen listeners on these live shows, but we get literally thousands of listeners on our, our podcast. So I think I'd rather just keep the releases uh, pushing towards the podcast. But good suggestion, Donnie G. Um, on Facebook, let's see if there's any activity going on here right now. And uh, uh, yep. I feel like there was. Um, you have Donnie G's various aliases checking on Facebook. Yeah, yeah Donnie G, also known as, known as Bill Wang. Uh, who went to Harvard. I wonder if Donnie G really went to Harvard. That would be freaking, that would be wild. Um, Chris from the Decibel Geek Podcast checking in. He likes the link that we are live. So, Chris, if you're listening, thanks for, for listening, and good luck with your podcast in 2014. Uh, we got Don sent me a list of his top 10 albums of 2013. Don, I'm going to blow through these really quickly. Winery Dogs, Black Sabbath, John Olivia, Dream Theater, Cheryl Crow. Whoa, there's a there's an interesting one. Uh, Altered Bridge, Queensryche, Ghost, or Ghost BC, Anthrax, which was a cover record, right? The new Anthrax. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alice in Chains. So, uh, oh, that beeping in the background is my dishwasher ending. Uh, so yeah, great list, Don. Thank you for checking in and real quickly, some other notes that I've gotten here. We have Fernando checking in on Facebook. I've just discovered your podcast by accident through the web and listened to episode four, four, eight. Great job. Generation kills album is heavy as hell. Keep it metal. Thanks, Fernando. I appreciate you checking in. I'm glad you were able to discover us on Facebook. Rodrigo checked in on Facebook with his top five albums for 2013. At number five, he has Five Finger Death Punch. Number four, he has Tarja Official. What's that? That's the 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 former singer singer of... Yeah, Nightwish or one Nightwish, yeah. Nightwish, yeah. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I got to check that out. Stone Sour, which wasn't that technically released in 2012? I'm not sure. We need to check that. One yeah. that came out last year. And oh, yeah. He says House of Gold and Bones Part 2. So that that one came out in 2013, I believe. Uh, Black Sabbath 13 and, of course, Ghost BC. How you pronounce it, I don't know. Infestizium? Infestizium. Something like that. What's your guess on that, Victor? Uh, I think you're close enough. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. And Martin, Martin checked in. Martin, you've donated before. Thank you for donating again. Martin has sent over 25 bucks. Thanks, man. That's awesome. Happy Christmas to you, John, and all the guys at Talking Metal. Best wishes for 2014, Martin. 
Thanks, dude. Martin is over in the UK. We appreciate that. And more stuff coming in on Facebook. I haven't even checked Twitter. Maybe we'll do that later. But um, we got, uh, oh, Chris from Decibel Geek again saying, um, what is he saying? Not sure if you heard, but Dan Spitz got picked up for domestic violence with his wife on Christmas Day. Sad to hear. Wow, I did not hear that. Did you hear that? Yeah, just read it about an hour ago. Uh, she's already said that she's not going to press charges. Um, I don't know. I, I was supposed to interview him earlier this year, and there were issues that came up, and I never was able to hook up with him. I know that um, due to, I guess, through a press release and just different things that I've read, um, his last album that he put out, that Red Lamb project that uh, Dave Mustaine produced is actually all focused towards autism because he has two twins that are autistic and yeah that's i mean being the father of two kids that are you know one just turned one years old and the other one's two and a half is a challenge enough i can't imagine what it would be like to deal with you know two kids that are autistic and i know people that have autistic kids so that's got to be you know, something very difficult to deal with. Not to say that that's any excuse to choke his wife, but um, it can't be an easy situation that he's dealing with one way or the other. Yeah. Um, Dan Spitz is kind of a weird dude, uh, and I, I know he has has this, you know, very difficult and in some some ways, you know, challenging life with two autistic kids uh he is from what i understand a complete crazy jesus freak which i'm as most of you talking metal listeners know i'm more from the other side of the pond when it comes to that type of stuff uh i and i I, you know it's it's i i don't know did he have a drug drug and alcohol problem because a lot of these guys who you know find Jesus suddenly are uh, or you know were do it because it somehow helps them deal with their dependency issues. Do you know if that's the case with Dan Spitz? I'm not sure, and I mean you're right because a lot of people that go to AA, I mean AA, from what I've read in different books of you know with Nikki Six and Slash and Mustaine and all is backed by religion so it's backed by you know tri- which Nikki six you know basically says in the dirt that he wasn't into it because of that you know i mean i think Nikki six is spiritual but right he's not like really a christian i wouldn't call him that you know and it's interesting with dan spitz too because i knew as soon as they got anthrax back together with scott ian who's basically an atheist or not basically i mean it's the way i understand that he is that there might be some friction there however i guess people with different beliefs should be able to get along um but i just sensed that that it wasn't him him and scott ian weren't gonna you know be able to uh, make it work for that long and I was right because they didn't right and the other thing too is he had the whole I guess uh, custom watchmaking business that he owns and he makes I guess like $20,000 watches or some something like that and apparently he was doing this red lamb project on the side so I mean red lamb that's some sort of biblical reference right 
Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, isn't there a Christian like death metal band or something called Red Lamb? Th- there could be. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure, and you know, I'm not up with my biblical references. So. And don't you think, in my opinion, Dave Mustaine personally got involved with that because he recognized uh, Dan Spitz as somebody who was enormously religious, like himself. I mean, it could be from from what I read, it, he they tried to play it as well. You know, it was a member of Anthrax and Megadeth going way back together, and that they wanted to work together. And originally, from what I had read, uh, Nicole McBrain was involved in that. And- Another born again. See, this is a freaking. It was a freaking Jesus thing. Uh, just, uh, I mean, now that's a weird thing. And I like, I I like Nico, you know, and right. uh, you know, but um. From what I've read, he's he's a born again too, which is interesting. Where you have Bruce Dickinson there with all his Aleister Crowley stuff, so similar. yeah. Which I don't know what Bruce is. I mean, because you know he's he's. I've heard him. You know, you know he just seems to be somebody who's fascinated by different religions and, and very into that whole whole thing. You know. Um, so I, I don't know. I've, I've wondered about Bruce and and does does he believe actually in any of these religions or is he just fascinated by by them all? You know, good question. Yeah, I'm not not sure. I mean, uh, similar to what you're saying about Nikki Six. I mean, and I think everyone should have their own beliefs. I mean, I don't think it's bad to be spiritual or to believe in something but when you go to the extreme that a lot of these you know guys go to where they want to push certain things on you i think that's where it's gone like a little too far so yeah mike is checking in on facebook he says what about carrie king of slayer he is an atheist uh yes he is definitely a lot a lot you'll find a lot of atheists in in metal i've i've noticed and Carrie and I actually spoke extensively about that when I was at his house for the Fuse show, all of which was not used in the broadcast. Um, But yeah, he was telling me that, you know, he has a little atheist bumper sticker on his car and he was telling me people key his car, like because of the bumper sticker and that he actually feels very threatened by by Christians, and he he said all this on camera. It was kind of interesting, but right. um, they they didn't use any of it in the show. Which is funny because um, I know a lot of people over here that are, you know, devout black metal uh, musicians or death metal musicians. Uh, their biggest issue with Slayer nowadays is that Tom Araya has come out and said that he's a devout Catholic, and. You know, again, that there, there's another place where two people with different ideologies are, are getting together. I mean, I grew up in a in a household that was very Catholic, but you know, one of my best friends growing up was an agnostic. I mean, I didn't think anything less of him, or you know, we never had any issues. So, I mean, um, but you know, getting back to Tom Araya, um, in my opinion, it's no different than uh, you know the old. Uh, a talking Heads song, Psycho Killer. It's no different than Anthony Hopkins getting up on, you know, uh, portraying Hannibal Lecter. He's playing a part. He's just, you know, uh, reciting lyrics. Doesn't mean he's going to go out and, you know, has to 
do anything involved with his lyrics to actually be true to it. I mean, I don't know. People just get too hung up on things sometimes. Right on. All right, dude, let's get into some music here and uh, try to come back and talk more about 2013. Yeah, try to... Great year for talking metal and Mars Attacks and uh, I think uh, hard rock and heavy metal in general. Absolutely. So let's get into... This is something that uh, you requested. This is Queensryche, the uh, Todd LaTorre version. One of my favorite records of the year, by the way, guys. Absolutely. Great album. Uh, This is Where Dreams Go to Die.
Check, check. We are back. That was a little Queensryche there off of one of the two Queensryche albums that came out this year. As I mentioned before, the toddlatory fronted band, and that was where Dreams Go to Die. And uh, Mark, you wanted to talk about some of these top 10 lists that are on the net. Top 10, top 20, the best of lists of 2013. And just to kind of go back to what we were saying before the Queensryche song, listen, we all have different beliefs when it comes to, you know, sports teams, music, politics, religion or lack of religion. And the bottom line is that, you you know, and, and I, I see people, I see Christians do this, I see atheists do this. You can't talk down to people who have different beliefs right. than you. You have to respect them and realize that people are just good and bad. It doesn't matter what religion they are or, you know, if they like kiss or they don't like kiss, you know, well, maybe that's a a different story. Just kidding. You know, but so so we just, we just, in the words of Rodney King, why can't we all just get along? Uh, Anyways. Yeah. Let's move on here. We got the best of 2013 list coming in all over the place. I posted mine on talkingmetal.com and uh, I should have it open, but I don't. So, while I'm pulling that open, Victor, do you have a list? We didn't really talk about this. That you want to run down, or you just want to read some of these other lists? Sure, I, I have. Uh, I actually have a list of 22 albums that sort of stood out to me. Um, I am going to post this, and I'm actually going to put a Spotify playlist up with uh, whatever, like 40, 50 songs that I thought were interesting that came out this year. I'll do that at some point this weekend. Um, that'll be up on MarsAttacksRadio.com, but uh, I'll, I'll give you my top ten. How about that? Um, yeah, uh, s- some of these I know some people will poo-poo because they're not metal enough or Start whatever. Start at ten but... and go backwards to one. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So here's starting off with the controversy. At ten, I have Avenged Sevenfold with Hail to the King. Number nine, my cousin Ghost. emailed me and he was like, "Why don't you ever talk about Avenge Sevenfold? What do you think of their record?" And it's like, uh, I don't dislike them, but I don't really love them. So, my yeah. cousin was, was talking about how great that record is. So now that you said it, uh, that's two people have told me it, that it's a good record. I need to go listen to it. All right, sorry, go ahead. I'm not going to interrupt. No, 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 no problem. And and to be honest with you, I mean, to me, they're either hot or cold the tracks are either really good or they absolutely suck but i enjoy this album um nine ghost infestizzi mum or however you say it nine no that should be number one or two dude all right i'm sorry i'm not gonna interrupt go ahead no problem number eight generation kill we're all gonna die absolutely love the album and i have to thank you for turning me on to the album my number eight too by the way was it oh okay uh, was not done purposefully. Number seven, Soil Work, The Living Infinite. Number six, Trouble, The Distortion Fields. Absolutely love that album. Uh, Some that really is a good record. Stuff. I did listen to that and uh, didn't make my list, but I, that was a really good record. Number five, Kill Switch Engage with Disarm the Descent. Number four, Alice in Chains, The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here. 
love the album. I know, as you mentioned, some people haven't taken to this album as kindly as they did uh, Black Gives or yeah, Black Gives Way to Blue. And number three, Black Sabbath thirteen. And the top two, people are going to say they're not metal enough, but I absolutely love these two albums. Uh, The number two is Queens of the Stone Age, Like Clockwork. And the number one is Nine Inch Nails, Hesitation Marks. Uh, I like both of those records. My wife and I, this is is how cool my wife is. We got an, an intense argument about how good the Queens of the Stone Age record was. And it was like, actually, we were actually kind of mad at each other. We were like, actually, all right, I mean... Most, uh, which is in retrospect, it's. Uh, I'm just so happy I can actually have an argument about something like that with her. I I thought the Queens of the Stone Age record had like two really awesome songs on it, and the rest was just kind of like eh. And I'm like an old school Queens of the Stone Age fan, going back to the first record. Saw them on you know their their second tour, um, the uh, Rated R you know restricted tour, and uh, right just love those guys uh or guy josh um but i don't know I, the, I, i'm just not feeling a lot of the songs on them they, on that record they're all they're all good but you know two of them i thought were really good but you like all the songs on the record yeah i, I would say um there may be two or three tracks that i don't really care for but the rest i I really like, and, and it's funny because with Queens of the Stone Age, I think that there are a lot of people uh, that are in your boat in the sense that they're hardcore fans from the beginning, and as albums go on, they sort of have lost interest in the band, that they don't feel they have the same, that they've retained the same sort of uh, maybe energy or songwriting that they had with those first two. But uh, but I, I really like the album. I think it's really good, and I, I do think that they're two songs that are a cut above everything else. But I do think for the most part, the rest of the album is really, really good. Okay. Well, here's my uh, top 10 real quickly. Shaktior by Shaktior, instrumental band from Russia on metal blade tears on tape by him. One of my favorite bands. Love those guys. Just love them. Love, love him. Awesome. We're all going to die at number eight by generation kill. Number seven, Life Sentence by Satan. Oh, what a great record. If you don't know that new wave of British heavy metal band, Satan, check them out. They're still around, and they have a great new record, Life Sentence. Six, Sounds Like Hell, Looks Like Heaven by Mustache, which was actually released in 2012 in Europe, but I didn't hear it until 2013 when it was released in North America. Number five, South of Earth by Iron Man. Number four, 13 by Black Sabbath. Number three, Queensryche by Queensryche. Number two, The Winery Dogs. Love that record. Wow, is it great. And number one, Infestisumum by Ghost BC. Uh, love, love all those records. I like the Nine Inch Nails record a lot too. Um, I was a little hesitant to put it on the list. I didn't know if it was really metal, but it's dark and loud. So I guess maybe it should have been on the list. Our friend Rob from Metal Injection has posted his list, his top 10, and I'll quickly read through that. At 10, he has Black Sabbath 13. At 9, he has a band I cannot pronounce, Kvelertak, K-V-E-L-E-R-T-A-K, Mir. Yep, Kvelertak. What is it called? Kvelertak. 
That's a, that's how they pronounce it on British TV. Okay. So <laughs> Revocation at number eight, Flesh God Apocalypse at number seven. Six, he has Nails, Abandon All Life. I've heard a lot of people mention this record. I've never heard it. Nails, Abandon All Life. Don't know it. Carcass, Surgical Steel. Uh, yeah, one of the death metal pioneers, Carcass, is back with Surgical Steel. I did hear the record. I've listened to it a few times. It is a great, solid record. And if I were like a crazy death metal guy, I probably would have ended up on my top 10. I'm not, so it didn't. Uh, Nine Inch Nails, Hesitation Marks at number four. Gore Guts, Colored Sand. I've seen this, Colored Sands, I'm sorry. This Gore Guts record has ended up on a lot of best of lists this year. And number two, Rob from Metal Injection has Ghost, Infestismum. And at number one, Rob from Metal Injection has the Dillager Escape Plan, One of Us is the Killer. So there you have it. Do you have the lists up in front of you, Victor, or should I... You, you want to read Eddie Trunk's list? Uh, sure. Let's see. We'll go backwards. At 10, he has Megadeth Super Collider. At 9, he has Michael Monroe, Horns and Halos. At 8, Motorhead Aftershock. 7, Striper with uh, No More Hell to Pay. 6, Scorpion Child. Uh, 5, he has 5.5. Actually, Black Sabbath, 13. At 5, he has Queensryche by Queensryche. At number 3, he has Black Star Riders, All Hell Breaks Loose. At number 2, Alter Bridge Fortress. And at number 1, The Winery Dogs. Chiaki from the Metal Moment podcast has checked in right now on the, uh, I, I don't know if it's, I think it's my Facebook page. And he says the number three record of the year is Striper. Interesting, Chiaki. Uh, I actually must admit I haven't listened to the new Striper. I did think that that record they put out back in like 2005, Reborn or whatever it was called, was uh, was really good. Uh, I'll have to check it out. And the re- I'm, I'm curious about the new Striper record now because Brave Words picked it as one of their favorites of the of the year and i definitely respect the guys over at bravewords.com tom Kiefer is chiaki's number two of the year and saxon is chiaki's number one of the year uh so there you go uh, those three bands are lucky that george lynch did not release a thing this year because if not that would be number one with a bullet for Chiaki. Yeah, yeah. The which which george lynch thing are you talking about the thing with the doug from king's x any, anything. Chiaki has to have more George Lynch coverage than anyone else. If someone wants to find out something about George Lynch, look no further. <laughs> Chiaki's got the news. Excellent. And let's see, what else? Do you have what do you have the other lists up? I don't I'm trying to uh, yeah, um, I'm, just, I'm trying to, like an idiot, I'm, uh, the, the social media stuff, Twitter and uh, Facebook is, is absolutely going nuts tonight, and I'm trying to like at least like and respond to people's comments to let them know that I am reading everything, even if I'm not uh, responding or reading it on the podcast. So, yeah, you got uh, the pitchfork list. Yep, got it going. This is a uh, sort of a, a light this list. This is a weird list. This is, uh, at least I think it's a weird list, How how different different folks think of you know you know what i'm trying to say is a lot of people view heavy metal as as something a little 
different than what I might view it or what Victor might view it or what Eddie Trunk might view it or, or what your, you know, nephew might view it. And, and this is a list, like I must admit, I've only heard of like half the bands they have on this list. And I've only like actually listened to like, like five of the records on their top 40. I would like to give, we're only going to read the pitchfork, uh, best heavy metal records of the year, top 40. However, I would like to, uh, top 10, I mean, but I would like to mention my friend Brian Beatrice's band ended up on this list at number 37. His band is Gnaw and Horrible Chamber is their record. And Brian is just a great guy. He mixes a lot of my uh, commercials that that I do for, for a living, my promos for cable TV shows and movies. So Gnaw, band out of New York City at number 37 cool. but you can i'll since i can't pronounce most of these uh these these names i'll allow you to read the the top 10 <laughs> excellent this is what i get for having you read uh ghost yeah. and this is again is the the top 10 metal albums of 2014 as picked by the music snobs over at pitchfork.com okay so here we go 10 uh noisium agony Defined. Uh, number nine, Subrosa. More constant than the gods. Number eight, Carcass with Surgical Steel. Number seven, Dark Throne, The Underground Resistance. Stop for a minute. I love this record, The Dark Throne, The Underground Resistance record. It came very close to ending up on my top ten. Um, there, there's one song on there called No Cross Left Unturned which is freaking brilliant. This is a record that Dark Throne, known mostly for being a black metal band, uh, hardcore, the real deal, you know, let's burn the churches and, and stuff uh, type of black metal band. I think Varg wrote lyrics for them at, at, at certain points throughout their career. However, Dark Throne's new record, The Underground Resistance, is kind of their tribute, their tip of the hat to 80s metal uh, and so you have these guys kind, kind of, you know, paying tribute to Iron Maiden, Motorhead, Halloween, and, and uh, bands like that. But yet still some of the black metal sounds and, and attitudes and just craziness creeps through here and there. However, it is uh, not a black metal record. It is almost sounds like, yeah, I, I hear like, you know, you, you know, all sorts of influences, Celtic Frost, and um, do you say Celtic Frost or, or Celtic Frost? If you listen to uh, who was the name of the singer, is it Thomas Gabriel? Yes, I, I've heard him get really pissed off in interviews when they say Celtic Frost. He would say it's Celtic yeah, Frost. Yeah. So. I, I I feel like I should be saying Celtic Frost. However, I've been saying Celtic Frost since I was like fourteen. You know. Right. No, I, I hear you. And most people say Celtic Frost, I think, in the yeah, States. Celtic I mean, Frost, anyways, you hear a big Celtic Frost influence. Or even, what was the band before that? Hellhammer? You hear that influence on this record, too. Um, great, great record. I can't say enough about it. We'll, we will play a track from this record, uh, Dark Throne, The Underground Resistance, again, on at number seven on the Pitchfork uh, top 40 metal albums of the year. But anyways, uh, let's get going and do the rest of them here. Number six, Victor? Sure. Number six is uh, Lycus, Tempest. 
Number five is Gorguts, Colored Sands. Number four, Power Trip, Manifest. I suck at reading. Uh, Decimation, Manifest Decimation, I guess. Um, Number three, Inquisition, Obscure Verses for the Multiverses. Number two, Argira Mona. If you, dudes, if you're gonna form a band, just give it a name that that us fuck fucking dumb people can pronounce. <laughs> well, at least you have to say that it, at least they don't have one of these logos where it looks like a bunch of tree yeah. branches. So props right. for that. Number two, so that's rights of separation, and number one, deaf heaven. Sunbather. Which is an album that I love, and uh, I actually on I have two lists up on TalkingMetal.com. I actually have songs that I thought were really strong from from 2013, uh, just single songs, and I have a Deaf Heaven song on that. It's not for everyone. It's it's like again, kind of black metal meets like almost a like I don't know, like a My Bloody Valentine vibe or something. It's it's unique stuff. Uh, I believe one of the guys at Metal Sucks called it the most overrated record of the year. It's ending up on not just, you know, best of lists that are heavy metal, but even the actual Pitchfork top 100 albums of the year. It's like in the top 10, I believe, for for that list. So uh, it, it's definitely gotten a lot of hype, and it is interesting stuff. It's it's a tough listen. They're from San Francisco. Um, and at times it's a, it's a beautiful listen. So if you have an open mind and, uh, you know, are interested in hearing something a little different, check out Deaf Heaven Sunbather. I will definitely have to check that out. So it's, as you said before, it's cool to check out other people's lists to see what you may have missed out on and, you know, just to give something a listen because you never know what you're missing out on. Cool. So Jakey Lee is back in the spotlight, and he has an album coming out in 2014, which I had the privilege of hearing, and I think it's really strong. I think there's some really great songs on there. I, I think the first like five or six songs just are, are excellent, actually. What Your thoughts? His playing is phenomenal. Without a doubt, this album really shines a spotlight on him whereas maybe in the past he was behind Ozzy's shadow and with badlands he sort of fit in with uh four or excuse me three other members where they sort of were a collective unit i think with this album it really showcases him well and uh i enjoy the album at first i was sort of uh you know uh didn't care for it, uh, and I think it had a lot to do with that first whiskey show and thinking, oh, you know, he could have done better and this and that. But I calmed down, listened to it uh, several times last weekend and have been listening to it all this week. And um, let's see if it holds out to be within my top 10 albums for 2014, without a doubt. All right, so let's check it out right now, a little new Jakey Lee. The one thing I like about this record is uh, it just listening to it, it really reminded me of what a unique player Jake is and how he has a style that that is really special. And, uh, you know, I love that he has some of his chords and stuff. You can hear him hitting, like, you know, seventh chords, and it's not just always a typical power chord and stuff. Almost, 
similar to kind of like how how George Lynch hits some of those, you know, chords that are more than just a power chord, but Jake almost takes it a little further than that. Um, you know, his lead playing is obviously great, but I, I think Jake, when it comes to rhythm playing too, is just really special and has a unique sound and individual style. So let's check out a little Jakey Lee right now. This is with Robin from Cheap Trick, right? Yep, this is the track Feeder. Uh, the name of the band is Red Dragon Cartel. The name of the album is the same thing, and this is supposed to be out in the States on January 24th, so check it out when it does come out. This is a little Red Dragon Cartel. Twisted smile of fire 
we are back. Cool. Yeah, we're getting all sorts of comments, guys. This is really great. I appreciate you checking in on Facebook. Uh, we got uh, Chris from Decibel Geek Podcast. He's wrote his top five albums of the year. I'll read some. Of them. I'll read the top three: Volbeat, Outlaw. Uh, he's got. Uh, trying to. How am I reading this? Oh, number two is that is Outlaw Gentlemen and Shady Ladies. Okay. Volbeat, Outlaw Gentlemen, and Shady Ladies. Two, Hardcore Superstar, Come On, Take On Me. And the number one album from, uh, according to Chris, at Decibel Geek Podcast, Black Star Riders, All Hell Breaks Loose. That is a great record, Chris. I do like the Black Star Riders record. It's interesting they decided not to call it Thin Lizzy and uh, are calling it Black Star Riders, but uh, great, great record. Uh, Mike is checking in. He says, I can't wait for the Cross's new album, which is their self-titled debut full-length LP. Okay, Mike, we'll uh, have to be on the lookout for that. And guys, just thanks for all your comments and thanks for listening tonight to the live show. You can always re-listen in podcast form on Tuesday. So what else we have? We're going to just quickly run down some of the big news stories of the year. We obviously know Kiss has gotten into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which should be interesting. It sounds like, according to Ace's interview on the uh, last Friday's Eddie Trunk show, that they're going to do two or three songs, just Ace, Peter, Gene, and Paul, and then possibly do Rock and Roll All Night with Eric Singer. Tommy Thayer, Ace, and Peter, and maybe, who knows, I would think Bruce Kulick will be included in that jam, wouldn't, wouldn't you? I mean, it would be great if they got Vinnie Vincent, although I find that highly unlikely. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting because Ace has also already said that he doesn't want to see Tommy or, or Eric Singer in the Spaceman or, or Catman makeup, so we'll see how that all plays out. Um, Which is just going to be weird it, if you got two two guys on stage in the same makeup. That's kind of ridiculous. But I would I would think you know as much bad stuff is said about Tommy and you know Bill Wang, Donnie G, saying all this crazy stuff about Tommy Thayer. Which, quite frankly, even though I'm a defender of Thayer, uh, a lot of it cracks me up. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the I don't I don't think I think Tommy would be the first to say, listen. This is about the original four. Tommy is uh, respects Kiss's history tremendously, and I think he would be the first to say, you know, it's you four that wear the makeup. Uh, so I, I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. Do do they throw the golden ankh on Tommy? <laughs> nah, highly unlikely. I'd love it to see Vinny there, uh, but but it doesn't. Uh, I doubt that will happen. Crazy side note. Did you know Vinnie Vincent's daughters live in Sandy Hook, uh, Newtown, Connecticut, where the shooting was last year? It's kind of crazy. I wonder if if the Vinnie Vincent family was affected. I mean, I'm sure they were just emotionally, but how how they were affected by that, um, it's kind of interesting. They run a makeup business in Sandy Hook, Newtown, Connecticut. The Vincent Twins. Interesting. And that's around the same area where I guess their mother was murdered as well, isn't it? Yeah, uh, she was murdered in, I think, uh, Shelton, which is not far from there. Yeah, You're cutting in and out a little bit on the Skype. I don't know. Hopefully that, that is not going to be um, going uh, over the stream or on the, on the podcast. 
Um, with the podcast shouldn't be an issue with what's recording locally. Yeah. Hopefully over the stream isn't cutting out. All right, cool. Well, let's run, run down some of these news stories. You go for it. Okay. Sure. We have, uh, as we sort of alluded to earlier in the show, we had the two different Queens Rikes. We still haven't had any type of resolution with that. Hopefully that will be coming in February of 2014. Um, I don't know if if that's something that you can actually bet on because ultimately there's going to be a judge involved and I don't think their musical taste is going to be, <laughs> you know, in question. Right. It, it's going to all come down to legalities and different things that go beyond, you know, the, the regular listener. But, uh, I mean, I, I would think that the Toddler version uh, retains the name, mm-hmm. but... Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Um, yeah. What's that? Oh no! I thought you were gonna mention. No, something. no, no. Uh, yeah. Okay. We'll we'll see with that, you know. But um, you know, I I love Jeff's voice. You know, it's uh, you know, it would be great if they could at some point. You know, as much as I think Todd's done a great job with them, is is I just love to see Chris DeGarmo and Jeff Tate do like some sort of reunion tour it's it, we all we we all love seeing the original members get back together even if they don't have what they once had but uh it sounds like chris is still active in music on his own from what michael from queensrike was telling me during the uh the talking metal interview i did with him in 2013 so it would be fun to see those guys uh get back together at some point however it seems like with stuff going on in court and stuff and suing each other and all this fighting for the name that that seems probably unlikely in the near future. Absolutely. Um, let's see what else we have. Tim Labesis, uh trying to hire a hitman to kill his wife. Crazy. Very crazy. I think uh, Zach Wilde put it best by saying that basically that there's no turning back from this, even if he is you know, somehow let out, this is still going to be, you know, something that's going to affect his career from here on out. Especially, again, getting back to someone that's a Christian-based musician and they're hiring a hitman. So, um, Last in Line, which more or less is the original lineup of the Dio band getting back together, Sands, Ronnie James Dio, obviously, with Andrew Freeman on lead vocals, something that uh, Vivian Campbell discussed that length with you um we also have another talking metal tie-in with god forbid uh calling it quits you had byron doing south of heaven with you guys back on the few show that's right great great vocalist what's he doing great band it's like has he announced any plans is byron doing anything byron davis Uh, i haven't read anything i know that he had like a clothing line that he was working on a little while back, I don't know if if that's the direction that he's going in. I know Doc Coyle has uh, mentioned a bunch of different projects that he's working on, and he's also working at uh, I guess School of Rock and Wayne. Um, so Which, I don't know. Oh, that's interesting because Metal Mike, I believe Metal Mike works at School of Rock in Chatham, but Metal Mike lives okay. in Wayne, so that's kind of interesting. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what unfolds with that. 
uh, Randy Blythe, the whole Randy Blythe trial. Which, yeah, that was intense, right? That was pretty major. That was yeah, big news. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people, you know, didn't realize the magnitude of what was going on. I mean, once you go to one of these former Eastern Bloc countries, I mean, there's pretty much anything uh, can be waiting for you because the laws are completely different and... You know, he was lucky to get off in the end. I know he spent time uh, in jail over there and everything, and he's put out a documentary, and apparently he's going to be putting out a book regarding uh, everything that went on. But, uh, you know, he he was one of the lucky ones, I would say. So um, a few people that had passed away during the year, obviously Clive Burr, very influential drummer. I think a lot of people don't realize the magnitude of his influence and actually discussing his passing earlier today. I did mention this to, uh, I was actually talking to my brother on the phone and I mentioned, you know, him dying. And he said, well, you know, I think most people remember Nico as the drummer. And I said, well, you do have to realize though, he did play on possibly their biggest album, which is number of the Beast." So, uh, you could argue that his influence goes beyond what Nico has done. Uh, you also have the and, and the he sad. He was pa- a very different drummer than than, than Mc, McBrain. In a lot of ways, he had such such swing, you know, and 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 a groove, you know, which which you know a lot of people always point at those first two records. So, oh, well, those Diano's influence that made it a bit a bit you know punkier and a bit more you know but some of that had to do with with clive and and his playing he played with a real real swing and uh real passion and not quite as technical as uh as nico mcbrain absolutely but i mean me personally growing up as a drummer um, just listening to a song like The Prisoner and hearing that intro, just the feel that he has with that. Yeah. I mean, I've Run heard... to the Hills has to be the intro to that. Is I mean, yeah. that's like when I was in high school, every kid was trying to play that. It's still got to be one of the most famous drum intros uh, out there, you know, along with stuff like, you know, Come On, Feel the Noise, you know, and, and, and other stuff like right. that. You know, just that simple drum in- intro uh, that just, you immediately before the guitars even came in knew knew what it was right and as good as nico is it still doesn't sound exactly the same as how clive was playing it at least to me but um anyway the sad passing of chi cheng after being in a coma for how many years um the bass player of the deftones he passed away and obviously jeff henneman very very influential guitarist uh, passes away on essentially the same day that Dave Lombardo comes out and says that he's no longer part of Slayer. It was a very weird sort of few days there for the band, people discussing whether they were going to continue or not. The band is obviously continuing without Henneman and Lombardo, as every other band like Kiss, like ACDC, like anyone else that changes members. You have fans... You know, on the one side or the other, saying they should retire, that they should keep going. Right. But uh, there seems to uh, be moving forward with that. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we had the return of Jason Newstead, 
who claims that his return to metal had a lot to do with those triple uh, X shows that he did with Metallica. And he did put out, I do like the EP that he put out. I think once he got to that, the full length album called heavy metal, I think that there was a lot more filler per se. I thought it was on that. boring. Yeah. yeah. The EP I, I, was okay. I, I listened to that. The one he put out this year, like, I saw it on. It's been on a couple best of lists. I I don't know how anybody could put it on their best of list. Quite frankly, I thought it was completely boring. That's just me. Uh, I'm a couple beers in at this point, guys. That's the real deal. <laughs> boring record, Jason Newstead. He uh, if that's, uh, it, I just didn't feel like it was a return to metal. It sounded like just a wannabe Motorhead, bad garage band, you know, knockoff. It's some L.A. like second-rate, you know, three generations late Motorhead knockoff. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Up next, Mike Portnoy leaves Adrenaline Mob for, uh, I guess, Winery Dogs and 20 other projects that he's working on. Love Mike. He's such a good guy, and he's, he's really done a lot to help john and i and in talking metal in general and he's a supporter of of what we've done and uh, saw him down at the winery dogs show in 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 uh new jersey and just such a such a great guy and uh i actually like him better out of dream theater you know i know that's gonna ruffle some feathers with our listeners but that's just me interesting had a uh Dream Theater discussion regarding Mangini actually yeah. earlier, t- yeah, about uh, people saying that had Dream Theater picked one of the other drummers that they auditioned, that um, perhaps the two albums with Mangini would sound different. And I basically said, look, <laughs> anyone that was coming in was going to be an employee and was going to play whatever Petrucci and Jordan told them to play. So I think Mangini fits fits the part well, and Mangini's. A monster. I mean, let's. It's not. You know, there's no getting around that. Is he Portnoy? Well, that's something. Yeah. You know, other people can argue, but uh, it was. It's interesting though for me that he leaves Adrenaline Mob, and the replacement is AJ Paro of Twisted Sister. Yeah, it is. Who's known as a real kind of basic drummer, if you will. You know. Absolutely. Um, a return of sorts. Also, uh, Deep Purple coming back. After a bunch of years of hiatus, uh, they put out a decent album. I mean, I don't think it's anything that you're going to, you know, compare to, you know, their classic albums. But uh, it was an all right album that had some decent tracks on it. I I thought the biggest deal there was reading that that Bob Ezrin was telling or was teaching Steve Morris how to play. And I'm thinking. Bob Ezrin did the record? "Hmm." Yeah, Bob Ezrin did the record. He was doing keyboards on it. Do you know? Uh, oh, okay. All right. Well, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. I mean, at least he's from kind of that whole scene and era, if you will. Absolutely. And um, I I do think the album is respectable. Um, and the last one here is one of the things that I mentioned a little earlier was the return of UDO and the return of Udo after... A bunch of years of being away. Yeah, what was that record called? Steam Hammer, right? I thought it was a good good record, and it was definitely, I was yeah. considering it for my my top ten list. It didn't quite make the cut, but it's a, 
it's a solid record. I, I really like that record. I have it in my car on CD. Uh, I have like a one of those CD binders in my car. I'm right. kind of old school, you know, and uh, really end up putting that in. You know, once a month, I'll, I'll give that one a spin, and it's a it's a good solid record. I really enjoy that record. Some yeah, I think there's a one song pretty- that's sung in Spanish too, which is kind of uh, interesting. Have you heard that song? Yes, I unfortunately have to skip that song. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing happens when I hear a lot of Spanish artists singing in English. So it's uh, a similar deal. It's just a a bit too much to handle, at least for me. Bill Wang says, no Richie Blackmore, no purple. Well, I don't know about that, Bill, Donnie. Um, I mean, what about Tommy Bolin, man? I mean, ooh. Yeah. Anyways... There, there again. He's uh, he's getting on, uh, you know, different things. Where I think it's easy to just say that, you know, the classic lineup is the only lineup that exists. But I mean, even with um, Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale in the band, they put out some oh, great stuff. Good. Yeah. So I mean, you just have to just take the the positive side of things and if you enjoy it cool and if not just stick to listening to what you like listening to and that's it cool guys on facebook i'm going to actually uh probably kill it with the the interaction here tonight because we're wrapping the show up and i really people are still going crazy here mike donnie bill chris chiaki all you guys thanks for listening we really appreciate it somebody else checked in said first time listener and was giving me their their stuff uh anyways it's it's i really appreciate all you guys just uh supporting what we do so have a good night guys uh, all right what else we got here victor uh that's pretty much cool. it that's all what, what about the guy like... who wanted to to have sex with babies what was that guy oh yes 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 the guy from lost yeah Profits. lost profits right that was a, that was what a, a weird great... story and it was really yeah. disturbing disgusting um yeah, anyways Go look it up if if you want to read about somebody who is trying to arrange to have sex with an infant or something. It's so incredibly yeah. disturbing. Uh, I just uh, I'm not a big death penalty guy, but I I think that's something that should uh, just get rid of people like that. Uh, yeah, you know I'm I don't know. It's just crazy, and this this is a band that at least in the UK is huge. I mean, this band, I don't know if if saying that they're as big as like Linkin Park is in the States is, is similar. Uh, I guess Linkin Park is big everywhere, but I mean, it's a band that is very popular in the UK and it's just very strange as you're saying, you know, someone of that stature to... You don't have enough groupies and shit that are coming on to you. Yeah. Well, obviously you know, he's not too interested in that. He's. I was just looking yeah. at pictures of that dude. He even's kind of got like a something about his look. He just looks a little, little off to me. A little weird. Will, oh. will he make it through his thirty-five year sentence? No, no, uh, <laughs> no. Somebody's gonna, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer him in the shower. You know, he's gonna. Yeah. yeah whatever. Anyways, on that note. The- you did have one more thing. Oh, I did. That, and I forgot to. Uh, I, I apologize for not going back to the things you sent. The Motley Crue retirement. Will they actually retire after criticizing Kiss about this to the umpteenth degree? 
it'll be interesting to see if they actually, you know, hang it up as as they're saying they will. Dude, I'm reading this Vince Neil book, which I mentioned to John in the last podcast, yeah. which came out in 2010. Uh, it's such a great read. It had gotten real mediocre reviews, which is why I kind of kind of kept pushing it to the bottom of my my pile. Um, but I love that dude. I love Vince Neil so much. I really feel he's just an honest guy. He tells it like like it is, and he you know he says in the book you know he really just lives day by day which is something i struggle with i'm always either in the past or the future and you know having trouble focusing on on the uh the current situation um at hand and and living for today and and uh, i i really respect the dude and am learning a lot about him and a lot about how he leads his life and uh he can't stand Nikki Six and Tommy Lee. It's kind of interesting. And Tommy Lee, you know, the, he was really once best friends with the guy, you know, so it's, it's kind of, yeah, yeah, he lived with him. He lived in the house with Tommy's parents and him, you know, before they even had a band together, they were friends. So interesting stuff. But, um, yeah, we got to wrap it up. And uh, why don't we hit this great song, one of my favorite songs of the year by the Black Metal Kings, Dark Throne doing a tribute to 80s metal with possibly the best song title of the year, No Cross Left Unturned. I mean, when I heard that title, I was like, the song better be good because that song title is the best thing I've ever fucking heard. No Cross Left Unturned. I mean, think about that. It's fucking brilliant. (laughs) Well, here we go. A little Dark Throne coming off of the Underground Resistance. Thanks for listening, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, absolutely. And uh, that's it. We'll leave you with this. 